Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy wants workers back in the office at least three times per week, but 16,000 Amazon employees really ain't trying to hear that. Google is changing directions when it comes to podcasting. The company has stopped adding playable links directly to search results and will soon add podcasts to YouTube music. Screen time, like video games, may not have the adverse effects on children's development once thought. What is going on in the home in addition to screen time is an important indicator. And the state of black professionals in tech report is out. Turns out that companies that are more diverse make more money. Got all this and more for you in episode 72 of The Tech John. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. And coming out of Philly, it's your girl, Tech Life Steph. And out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech, a.k.a. GDPR is starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> just now, it's like it's been a law for a minute. It's starting to sink in. I'm tired of selecting uh, don't track me or delete cookies or don't accept any cookies. Starting to get on my nerves now. <laughs> I do it because, you know, safety and security and, you know, uh, don't share my data and don't track me. But it's like, all right, there needs to be a a website we can go to to select our preferences. And then all the other websites in the on the earth and on across the globe ping this website, find out what my preferences are per my IP address and apply those that way versus every that single time. That make way too much sense. Wishful you thinking, bro. That'll never happen. <laughs> you you know that's, that's never going to happen. There's no benefit to anybody creating that because the people that want the information want you to be tired of clicking no all the time so that maybe on, on, the, on the 17th time you won't click no and they can get you stuff. So they ain't going to make you do it every single time. So, y'all, before we get to our tech stories, I want to let everybody know that you can support the Tech John by becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash Tech John. We have multiple tiers over there and one of any one of them, which gets you a access to our live stream, which we're recording right now and our after party where you can hang out with us after we do the show. And there's even a couple tiers over there to get you ad free tiers. So you don't have to listen to ads in your podcatcher when you're listening to the show. So if you're interested in supporting the show, once again, head over to patreon.com forward slash the tech John. That is the tech J A W N and support us there. So let's get into this first story. And this is kind of a, a little bit of a recap from last week. Last week, we talked about how Walmart is requiring employees to come back into the office. Well, this week, 
um, or actually, I guess technically this is actually last week as well. It's just later in the week. There were 16,000 employees at Amazon are pushing back on RTO. This all stems from Amazon boss Andy Jassy telling staff in an internal company memo that they needed to be back in the office the majority of the time, adding it should be at least three days per week. His justification was when you're in person, people tend to be more engaged, observant and attuned to what's happening in the meetings and the cultural clues being communicated. So like other companies, he's a CEO, wants his folks coming back in. But within an hour of putting this out, there was 5,000 folks. It was like, no, nah, son, this is not what we want. That actually happened on, I think it was two Fridays ago. And then by last Tuesday, they had a resource group that was called Remote Avis, excuse me, Remote Advocacy in Slack that had over 16,000 employees. The contents of the channel ranged from snap polls, 80% of which respondents said that if they do this, they're going to ultimately look for other jobs. And it ranged from that to just being furious with all kind of feedback. And they even launched a petition to try to keep this from happening. So just based off our conversation last week, I just wanted to come come back and, and, and see what you guys thoughts were on this, that where, you know, this many of their employees are like, no, we do not want to go back into the office. It's like I kind of there, there was some stuff in this article that I that I hadn't thought about before as far as making people come back and the, the idea that, you know, some people actually moved based off of the fact that they could work from home. And so if they do have to come back now, they either have to have this long commute or uh, move back into the city where it, it's more expensive and things like that. So there are definitely some considerations to trying to kind of unilaterally just be like, get y'all asses back up in here. But at the end of the day, I mean, the company is the company, the company and, the company. and they can do what they want. I'm curious as to if these companies are really like, we really value the cooperative and the collaborative efforts of being back to work in person. So that's what we really want to get back to. Or is it like, is, are they like, all right, well, we know we're, we're cutting costs. The economy is changing. There's this talk about recession. So why don't we use making y'all come back in the office as a guise for, we know some of y'all ain't going to come. So they weed, weed some folks out, yeah, basically weeding some folks out. People, this is our layoffs, making people do things that they have grown accustomed to. Or like Stephanie said, what came on on the auspice that this is going to be a remote job. And then for them to turn around and change their mind is this like a guy's for we, we land. It's a weed out process by, mm-hmm. by making them do something they don't want to do. Sh- shadow layoff or sh- shadow reduction in force. I actually asked this question last week on Twitter and had some pretty good conversation around it to where and I actually stuck this in the rundown, but it didn't make our last cut. But Google, they've actually asked employees to come back in. But because we want to save money on office space, we want you to just double up. So we want you to find a partner and alternate days. They come in one day and use the cubicle. You come in the next day and use the same cubicle and work it out amongst yourselves. What kind of desk setup and all that kind of stuff you like. So I think that, you know, that too is a play to where we, you know, these companies that we've already done our reduction in force and we took those hits. We still need probably a few less people here. 
So let's just piss them off and let them leave on their own. We'll still give them a nice severance if they leave. But see, I didn't look at that Google story the same way. I'm just like that to me. That's like you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't expect to demand to work remotely or only be in the office two days or whatever the case may be, but then get mad when the company decides to do what they need to do to maximize office space and run more efficient and lean by having people alternate sharing desks. Like you, well, that's, I, so, you actually, you, it sounds like they just trying to have their cake and eat it too. If you're mm-hmm. clowning Google for that decision, I think it was the smart decision actually pers- if people were not going to be there. I personally think the article was misleading. I think they phrased it like that to get people mad, to get the clicks and get the views because the way the, the title runs versus how they break it down. If you read the article, it's just like, ain't that what companies been doing? Hoteling? Yeah. That's been a thing. And it makes yeah. perfect like sense. Makes perfect sense. You know, so, but I do believe that there may be some component to that to where it's like, if we need, if we need fewer people, some folks ain't going to be down with this and they're going to exercise their right to leave without us having to lay them off. So, um, more so on the Amazon one, though, you got 16,000 people, 80% of which now people are saying that, will they actually do it? That is a completely different question. But do you think that Amazon has to look at that? It's like, well, out of 16,000 folks, 80% of them are really, really upset about this. And even though it may not be the overwhelming majority of the folks who said they would leave, we know some of them are going to, do we just, you know, suck it up and say that that's just what's going to happen? Or do we need to rethink this strategy? I would no, they don't have to. Um, we don't know the effects yet. Uh, what I mean by that is let's just say, I don't know, 40% of these 16,000 people said, nah, I got, I came on to Google because I was under the impression that this is going to be a remote job. Um, you're making me come back in office. I'm out, right? We won't know the effects of that. Well, the company won't know the effects of that. If that's the case in mass, it's got to be in mass. It can't be onesie twosie people. It's got to be a large number, a large enough statistic for Google to be like, Hey, um, we don't like how this has turned out. Now we're struggling to find people and we can't hire anybody because everybody's remote and our competitors are hiring all these remote workers. The people have decided remote work, uh, hybrid one or two days, maybe at the most in the office is how we're moving forward. Once we see that, then uh, Google will be like, all right, now we have to do something right now. It's kind of like, well, you know, we should. You know, to make sure that we're not up against a wall when if if, in fact, this is how people decide they want to work going forward. Yeah, I would agree. And th- this story was Amazon uh, more so than than Google. But well, I, Amazon, I, I'm sorry. I yeah, I, I do. I, I agree with your sentiment. And then, Stephanie, back to your point about Google. I did see that kind of that way as well, because I'm thinking it's like, you know what? If you like work in a call center and they have multiple shifts. Somebody is using the cubicle when, you know, you, you, you clog out and right. somebody else is coming to clog in. Absolutely. You know, they don't, you don't necessarily have your own individual space. So I did go through some of the comments and some folks are saying, well, for folks who want to come in every day, they can have their own cubicle because they're there every day and they get their own space and they can keep whatever they want to keep in and don't have to worry about making sure that it's going to vibe with somebody else. This was, uh, you know, to your point, this is for the folks who, well, if you only want to come in hybrid, 
we're not going to give you a permanent space. That doesn't make sense to do that. If you're only here two or three days a week, why would we have space for you for the days that you're not here when we could actually repurpose that space? So I do see that as that way as well. But I also do think that when they start implementing this, some folks are going to say, and, and, and anybody can say this for any job that they're in for any reason. If you, you have a choice, if you decide that I, I'm not rolling with, or I don't like the way you guys are rolling, you can make a decision to move on. I just wonder if it, if somebody is kind of counting that number, I, I'm certain somebody's counting it, but it's somebody like pre-counting. It's like, well, we think that so many people are going to leave before we go. It's the same as actuaries, you know what I mean? That work for car companies. How many people can die and uh, if these brakes fail and we won't lose enough money to bankrupt us, it's, it's, they're doing mm-hmm. the same type of of of, of trade off, you know, analysis with the, with every decision they make as vis a vis employees. So, you know, how many how many will leave? All right. We can live with that. So let's go ahead and do it. Right. Yep. I said it's going to take the people in mass to be like, nah, for them to be like, all right. <laughs> and ain't nobody going to do that because people still need to work. Like exactly, so ain't nobody good. leaving in mass. You know what I mean? Like a few <laughs> folks will leave, but right. it ain't gonna be a thousand people walking out in one day. Like we right. definitely not eighty percent of the sixteen thousand. No, uh, I, I do not. not see that. Some eight percent maybe, but 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 not eighty. So y'all, this next story the eggs these days. Ain't nobody going nowhere. <laughs> people talk a good game. Exactly. <laughs> until you really got to sit here and look at that what that unemployment check going to look like. So, yeah, now that Carnot still comes when you decided you don't want to have to share a cubicle, right? <laughs> Carnot still do mortgage still do. So every month. People cra- I, I, um, I know we're about to transition, but yeah, if you thought you was going to be remote 90 percent of the time and you come in office one day and expect to have your own cubicle all to yourself, untouched, that's that's silly. Come on. It's like, come on. Right. <laughs> All right, y'all. So this next story, I know both of y'all are iPhone users. So you're like, I really don't care. But I I did want to talk about this because I got some questions I want to ask at the end. So Google is changing direction when it comes to podcasting. They announced earlier this month that they will no longer place playable Google podcast links in search results. So let me explain what that is. Before February 13th and actually going back into last year, if you would have did a search for the tech john, the first thing that would have came up is the techjohn.com. The second thing that would have came up is actually the Google podcast player links for the tech john right there in your search results. That was number two. I've seen it before. I wish I would have screen capped it before, but I've definitely seen it there at the number two ranking thing when you search for the tech john. That is gone. So there were podcasters who noticed that it was disappearing going back as far as January. And then on February 13th, Google announced that they are getting rid of that and, it, and it's gone. So, you you know, you no longer have that player. The, the new thing, though, is that YouTube podcasting head Kai Chuck announced Thursday last week, the podcast will be added to YouTube music. So like Spotify has podcasts built right into the, you know, into the the Spotify app, you're now going to have YouTube music where you're going to be able to search and actually listen to audio and video podcasts right from your YouTube video link. That is very different. One thing that we always know about Google is they kill stuff all the time. So I was kind of worried. like, is, is Google going to kill their default podcast player again? 
They used to have a thing called Google Play. Nobody knows about Google Play anymore because Google Play went away for Google Podcast. And it seems like now maybe Google Podcast is getting pushed to the side for, for, you know, for YouTube music. So my question is, do you think that the Google pushing podcasting into YouTube and, and, and into YouTube music, if that's going to actually be a good thing for them, a good thing for everybody as far as podcast discoverability, because one of the things that is terrible, unlike a YouTube video, you can't really, it's, it's, it's very difficult to search for podcasts. It's, it's better than it was five years ago, but you know, compared to searching for like YouTube videos or things just coming up organically in search, it is pretty abysmal. And I wonder if by Google, with all the search capability that they have by moving this into YouTube and YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the planet. Will it be better for podcasters? Will it be better for discovery when they actually do move all this stuff into YouTube music? Is there a free version of YouTube music? And that's just what I was going to say. Only if they if there's a free version, if they're trying to force people. Yeah, because it, it's that, that's what it sounds YouTube like. They're just trying to yeah, force it. people to pay for YouTube music. But if they're yeah, you know, that's the only reason I can think that that they would do something like that, make that kind of move of say trying to, you know, force people onto YouTube. YouTube so music. YouTube music will allow free ad supported background listening to podcasts and offer enhanced library tools. So like the paid version. like So one of the things that YouTube music can do, it's it, if if you've ever played with YouTube music, it's better in a lot of ways than like the free version of Spotify, because you can actually listen to whatever song you want to listen to. The issue is that you can't do it in the background on your phone. You literally have to have your screen on and be on the YouTube music app in order for it to play. So you lose all the benefit of actually having it on your phone in the first place. If you're trying to do something else, if you just have your phone sitting there playing through a speaker, I guess that would be fine. But if you're trying to do anything else with your phone, as soon as you switch off of the screen, it goes away so what their screen times out (laughs) yeah or that so what they're saying is that we're going to set this up so that you can actually play youtube music for podcasts in the background on your device but it will be ad supported so that brings the question up well like with youtube will there be a ad revenue share that goes to the actual podcaster I Um, i would assume so uh, well, you know what Assume says. They didn't say that, so I'm. I want to. I want to see. Yeah. It but if it's a part of YouTube, um, I'm pretty sure there's some sort of barrier. Like with YouTube, in order to monetize, you got to have X amount of subscribers or whatever the barrier is. If it's going to be part of that, again, you would assume that they're going to, especially if they're playing ads. I mean, well, I take it back. Because if if they're modeling it, if they're modeling it after Pandora or Spotify, does Spotify offer ads? Because I'm not a Spotify user. Can you? There's a to free music? version. Do they put ads on that on the free version of Spotify? And, you know, I, I think you can also listen features. to podcasts on the free version of Spotify as well. But I don't know. I've got the paid version, so I just I don't know. My experience is that I don't hear ads from Spotify. And podcasts that I'm listening to, but I actually have a you know a Spotify subscription. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Spotify because I've had I've had the free version of Spotify in the past. It's been a long time. I don't really use I I'm, I'm, I use Apple Music now, um, but I feel like when I was using it, there was I, I don't 
But then I don't, I don't remember it being as obnoxious as Pandora because Pandora is like every third song or whatever. Right, right. But I know there were like a lot of functionality and feature restrictions. Like you couldn't skip any songs. Right, you couldn't shuffle. Couldn't you couldn't, yeah, and, yeah. Right. You couldn't do all of that kind of thing. Um, but I don't, if, if they, I'm pretty sure they do, but if they do, they definitely were not as obtrusive as, as a Pandora. So, um, I in, uploading videos to YouTube for the Tech John, I saw that there is a podcast option. And it took me 20 minutes to figure out how to utilize this because this goes along with this story. There is an option when you upload um, video is you can upload a podcast. Now, they need to iron some things out. Because I got mad confused about, all right, am I uploading a video and in YouTube uh, podcast or YouTube music, the podcast option is the video going to be playing? And then like Rob said, it'll give you the ability to lock your screen. It'll give you the ability to listen to something, watch something, watch Twitter, you know, scroll your feed or whatever while the YouTube podcast is playing in the background. And if that's the case, shouldn't I be uploading audio? to youtube or are they taking the video and breaking out the audio for youtube podcasts or is it just a podcast playlist and if you want to watch it fine and if you don't you don't so all that to say uh, i tried to upload some of our um previous shows as a podcast i don't even i'm not even sure i did it right (laughs) because Mm -hmm. there was no there was no okay well if you upload the video, this will happen or upload the video. We'll separate out the audio or in order to make a YouTube podcast, you need to upload an audio file only. So I tried some stuff. So <laughs> we'll see if it works, but some oh, random <laughs> stuff out there on YouTube at this point. <laughs> I even tried to Google it and they didn't even have anything in Google as to how you create or upload or curate a podcast from the audio and or video content. So this is very, very new and they do need to figure that out specifically the uh, revenue split, uh, a split because that's the whole point of uploading to, well, not you, you want to get viewers and you want to get subscribers and you want to get followers, but you also want to get paid. So one of the reasons why you upload to YouTube is once you hit that threshold, you know, and they start to monetize your content, then you can get a little split. So hopefully. This is the same thing for a podcast as well. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to work, because if you already have ads in your content, are they just doing like pre-roll and post-roll ads? They're not actually injecting in the middle of your show. You know, we, we don't know. We have to we have to wait and see all this stuff, you know, come out. So putting your podcast on YouTube has been a thing for a minute. They but are, it's just been a video. It's, it's just been the video. But here was it's one of the things, you know, as, as I as I started to read through this, some of the things that were interesting about what YouTube music is going to do is that you, it, let's say that you have a a, a video first podcast. Well, you know, we, we have video, but I think that we would still consider ourselves audio first with video. But there are some podcasts out there that literally are video first and, and they, they are meant to be watched. Some of the things that you're going to be able to do with YouTube music is that you can start watching in one place. Let's say you're watching on your Chromecast and then you can move over to your tablet and then you can move over to your phone and it'll keep your spot. It'll also 
remember that, well, you were watching the video here, but you only want to get the audio there. It's going to actually do that kind of syncing as well, which I think is kind of interesting because some of these podcasts are really long. Like, you know, we, we, we kind of say, man, that was a long show when we go 70 minutes, but there's podcasts out there. that are two and a half, three hours long. And you're just not sitting down in one place to watch that. So you might pick it up while you're in the car. You might pick it up while you're working out. And if YouTube music is going to be able to make it easy to go back and forth between those modalities where you were watching and now you're listening and then you were listening and now you're watching, but it picks right up where you left off. I think that actually is kind of interesting. The, the most the, the most important thing, though, is what is that ad revenue split going to look like? Are they even going to offer it? And then two, will this actually help? with podcast discovery. I think that it is almost laughable that Google has is just now really thinking about podcast discovery. They're the biggest search engine and the second biggest search engine on the planet. Podcasts have been popular for a while. Uh, clearly, somebody at Google has to know that it is extremely difficult to search for podcasts. It seems like they would have tried to crack this nut a while ago. So, you know, I guess it's I better late than never. I was but. thinking that, too, as 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 you were kind of going through it, like, why are, why are we just now talking about this? <laughs> like, it's, it just it definitely seems like this is something that should have happened a long time ago. But I don't know. I guess Google had higher priority things to do. They'd be trying half ass trying. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of it goes back to just Google's incentive models that they have for development to where you are incentivized to launch something, not necessarily to make the something better over time. That is drastically you different than I'm you sorry. get promoted and you and you kick the can down the road. You literally kick it down the road. You you move on to the next thing. So all of that, all of that knowledge on the thing you were working on, that got you the promotion just kind of goes with you on to the next thing. So uh, Google definitely needs to get better at that. But this is one that I'm that I'm truly interested in, because number one is like they said ads. And when they said ads, that means revenue. If they say revenue is like, OK, does that all go to Google or is there a revenue split? We are all interested in that because, you know, we would put our we we're already putting our stuff there so that it would make sense for us. But also, will the discovery get a little bit better? So, Stephanie, this is one you stuck in here. This is a really, inter- really interesting article from the Wall Street Journal that came out about st- screen time and its effect on kids. In one study, affluent kids have a better outcome than poor kids. But this may have been more about family dynamics than actually about the amount of time that children are physically in front of a screen. Mm-hmm. So, so what were your thoughts on this article? Yeah, I put this in here because because I get this question all the time. I I talk to parents, you know, about their their kids, social media and and screen time, you know, regularly, and they're always like, "Well, what's too much? And what should we be doing? And what? How do I keep them from blah 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 blah?" And I'm always trying to drill home the point that your involvement is the most important thing, and and they they never seem to want to to listen and understand they they seem to want a solution or, or a quick easy sort of silver bullet way to say do this one thing or change this one setting or or you know whatever and and it's like so it's, the, it's okay so I, I was confused not confused i was hoping that you wasn't saying that the parents was looking for a reason as to how they can or the best way as to how they can 
dish off the responsibility of interacting with their kids. I mean, it kind of sounds to hear some parents talk about it. It kind of sounds like it. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, when you think about that, you know, as I'm, as I was thinking about that and reading this article, um, the article pretty much makes the correlation towards lower income children having more negative types of interaction and more negative types of screen time. And it, 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 it was interesting because the article didn't really necessarily demonize screen time at all, really. I mean, unless it's for like very, very young children, like don't give a child under the age of one a screen, uh, because right. you do actually stunt their brain development at that age. But for, for child, for kids four or five and older, it's not necessarily the amount of screen time, but it's what you're doing when you're on that screen. And so the idea that, you know, lower income students have, have worse outcomes as it relates to that, because I, I would imagine because they have less involved parents because the parents are probably working probably more working. hours right. and, and, right. and doing more things and things like that. And, and maybe or can't not afford these activities because good grief. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I got kids right now it's activities and they, in my pockets so I can imagine not having the type of resources that I have and still trying to raise kids doing it the best you can. And it's like, all right, well, uh, I need something for you to do. I can't afford you in this camp and that camp and this thing and that thing, uh, here. And then the neighborhoods are such that kids can't go outside and play anymore because it's not mm-hmm. safe. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just this vicious circle that this, this thing called the internet that was supposed to be this, you know, democratizing force in our society and things like that is really kind of backfiring when it comes to, um, you know, people with lower incomes because they're just consuming a lot of it. And it, but it's like, but that's, but, but it's, but it feels like it should be an easy fix because everybody gets the same internet. So, you know, how can we coax, you know, are you, and I don't want to just you know, make the blanket statement that only black people are low income, but you know, I care about black people with low income. So like, how do we convince, you know, our, our people to help their children make better choices or how do we help the children make better choices as it relates to the type of content they consume online? So I, I will say, go ahead. Ryan. I was going to say one, one of the things that I was picking up in this article was that it was they kind of made the correlation to video games. So we are all of the age that when we were kids and they were coming up, they were talking about how how playing video games was rotting our brains and this and that and the other. And pretty much every study recently or not even recently in the last 30 years have come out and said, no, that's not really true. It's about what you do in addition to the video games It's about the interactions that you're having outside of just playing those games. And I think that that was kind of the thing here. It did say for very young children, Stephanie, you do not want them on screens pretty much at all unless it's like they're talking to a grandparent and you're there with them to actually give them the cues of what you know to help them understand what it is that they're doing but as the children get older it was saying that there's really no correlation in between the amount of time and uh, negative impacts it is what are you doing at dinner what are you reading how you know what is the education level of the parents what is the involvement of the parents it was all these other things that aren't the boogeyman of the the screen time the internet that's what i be trying to tell these daggone parents they want like i said they they want 
to your point, Terrence, they, you know, give me a, a a pill basically to to give my kids to not be on social media so much. And I'm like, you're the pill. You are the plug. Like you set the standard, you set the tone in your house, you create those rules and regulations. I tell them all the time about no phones at dinner. Like you need to I I I advise I always advise parents to create a digital contract that will govern device usage in your home. So work on it with your kids. If it's no devices at dinner, if it's no devices at bedtime, whatever that is, everybody gets to say in what those rules become and the consequences of breaking those rules um, also need to be in writing. Everybody signs it. You know what I mean? Go get it notarized if you want to be like super, super official. But it, it, it is, it is you, you know, you are the pill, uh, or the silver bullet that's going to make the difference in your kid's life. And, and, and for the life of me, there is always pushback. I always get pushback from parents. They, they think it's harder than that, or they want it to be something else, um, you know, a switch they can flip that, that makes it better. And I'm like, it's, it's not, it's you. It is you and your involvement in your kid's life. That's it. Yeah, I have a, a you know a, a really good friend who is a principal, and he was just telling me times when he was a teacher and you're talking to students, and he he is in, in the inner city in in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's like you know you ask kids, well, I need you to bring a book in, and the only book now the, now he he's he, he's old enough to be my dad. He's actually one of my best friends' dad, but he's like the books that would come in would be the Bible. Mm-hmm. or a telephone book because those are literally the only books mm. that are in the house. Mm. So you, you know, so it's very easy to say, Oh, well these kids spend all their time on the screen. They're not reading and writing. And it's like, well, no, they're spending a lot of time on the screen, but they're not reading and writing because they don't have anything to read or write. Uh, th- th- there's no one there that is, th- that is working with them. And I like to, th- this is not, I don't want this to come across like I'm blaming anyone that's low income for doing this. We understand it. Like sometimes you have no choice but to work two jobs because if you only work one, you can't afford to live in your home. I, I, I get those kind of things. But a, a big part of this is that the, the screen time thing is just a, it's, it's almost like a, uh, I can't even think of the word. It's that is not the problem. The problem is that yeah. the other things that are also happening because you are not coming from an affluent uh, childhood. It's like, you know, one of the things is like, make sure that when you are eating dinner, that you don't be on your screen. And it's like, let's make sure that these children actually get to eat dinner. That that was that was one of the things it's like, you know, uh, I, I don't know that a lot of people think about this, but there are a lot of children who come home. And, you know, one of the things the schools do now is that they will actually send a box lunch or, or, or box dinner home with the child because they know that that's the, the yeah, next time they eat will be the next time they come to school. So they are literally sending food with them home to eat. So it's like, so don't have a screen on while you're eating. Let's, let's you know, we have to look at things. Let's make sure that child actually has the opportunity to eat. And then we can worry about just, screens being turned on. And that's, and that's just one example. You yeah. know, it's, it, it makes sense. It makes sense to where if you're eating dinner together as a family, you're supposed to be eating dinner together as a family, right? Mm-hmm. So common sense would be, all right, well, if you're watching your tablet or you're on your phone, that's taking away from the interaction at the family time during dinner. That doesn't necessarily have to be one of the hard, fast rules. It's just logical. Like, all right, well, since we sit down here in the family, let's do it together. But I will say 
whether they're low income or not, there are some affluent kids and some affluent households to where either the schedule is so busy with the parents and the kids and kids got their own thing or the kids get older, they get into activities, they get into work or whatever the case may be. They ain't even eating dinner together at all anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, I just want to preference, preface, uh, we, we, not we, but people assume that if families are not eating dinner together, then it's automatically the low income, the let the low educational background families win. Kid, as you get older, per, perfect, you know, speaking personally, I've got kids of age that we have to drag them down just to eat dinner together as a family because they're busy doing other things. We re- readjust mm-hmm. the schedule forward or backward based on who's doing what that day. You know, so I, I didn't want to give the impression that this article is saying, well, you know, if you if your kids are not um, um, on the if your kids are on the tablets at dinner time, then the whole <laughs> the whole family's ruined. You know, I think yeah. the article does a, a, a good job of saying that. Here are some things you can do now that you know just because the kids have a screen in front of their face, then it's not going to rot their brains. The same thing Rob said about gaming. Same thing he said about rapping. Well, it's, uh, Kayam put a comment in the, in the, in the, uh, Kaya made a comment. Um, the screen time is a symptom, not the illness. And, and it's true. It's like mm-hmm. technology at, you know, on face value is, is not a problem. I mean, hum, human nature is going to be human nature regardless. You know, through the ends of time, people will do what they want to do. People will be mean. People will be, you know, nice. People will be kind. People will be whatever they're going to be. You know, these, these mechanisms just maybe f- make it easier to do and facilitate, um, facilitate an easier time for it. But people are going to be people no matter what. But parents, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, if you think you have, if you think there's a problem, um, you got to start with yourself, honestly. And, 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 and again, it, it might be hard. It might, it might seem impossible, but you got to start with yourself. If you, if you think you're, your kid is having a problem with screen time and, and they can't seem, they just won't put that phone down. I'm like, oh, well, the, you know, you, you got, you got to start with yourself. Yeah. You got to start with yourself. Honestly, you do, you do. It sucks, but you do. And, and, and it might seem like there's no alternative, you know, when you're working two jobs or doing whatever you, you know, you might be hustling to do, but, but you gotta, you gotta find that time and make that time. So Stephanie, just to put a bow on this, because, you know, I've been told this is what you do. This is like one of your life's missions talking about this kind of stuff. Can you, can you just, Give parents that might be listening to this a tip or two or three about what they should be doing when it comes to their children's screen time. Well, number one, um, you should be monitoring it. Number one, I think, I think parents, especially as with older kids tend to just hand over a device and then that's it. You, you, you never have a conversation about it. You never say, okay, I'm giving you this phone, but you're only going to be able to use it for X, Y, and Z and, you know, or this time or that time, you know what I mean? Like, like no, no conversation ever really gets had about how the device use will work in the household. So that's the first thing you got to have the conversation, you know, whatever that looks like for your household, you got to start with that conversation. Then you got to revisit that conversation because as they get older, 
things might change. You know, maybe they, maybe you get an extra hour, you know, whatever. This is what we do if you want to ask for a little bit more time or visit a different website. Um, as it relates to social media, you should be friends with your kids across all platforms. They, they should not be able to be on a platform without you knowing that they're on that platform and being friends with them on that platform. So that's going to require, you know, a little, maybe pushing some parents out of their comfort zone because everybody's not as tech savvy as, as, as we are. Um, so, but. You, this is what you got to do. You know what I mean? If you got to sit down at night when your kids go to bed and get on your laptop and figure out how to make a Snapchat account, then that's what you got to do. You know what I mean? Because you need to understand where these kids are. You need to understand how to dig into those apps and find those privacy settings, find those parental controls and know how to enable them if they need a passcode or whatever the case might be. You need to understand how to do that to protect your children. The internet is a really, really bad place and you really need to be able to protect your kids from, from different types of content and different types of people that they are going to encounter when they go online. So it, it's work, but it is, the, it is the work of raising children in this digital age. I think that's a good place to move on to the next story. So thank you for that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So this one, I actually texted both of y'all this morning because I th- this report just popped up today. So I hope y'all had the opportunity to go through it, take a look at it. It's a 38, I think it's 38 page PDF. So there's a lot there, but the state of black professionals in tech is a report by Infotech Research Group and out it's out and it highlights unique experiences of black employees in the tech industry. So uh, we will actually put a link to the PDF in our show notes. Cause I said, this is a, there, there's a lot of information here. When I was reading through this, let me just say first that the, 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 the research was done by two directors of research, Allison Straker and Ubad Farah. And it's based off of an October 21 survey with responses from 633 black professionals. And as I was saying, as, as I read this thing, Rob, uh-huh. is that enough? 633 people. I'm well, and then it was, they weren't all black. If you look at the breakdown yeah. in their, in their appendix, the, the number African, of black people UK, was only yeah. like, it was 25% black and everybody and 75% others. others. So it was less. So 25% of 633, a quarter of that is what? 200, a hundred and some change. So yeah, that was one of the questions. It's like, there's not a lot of folks 
who answered this. But then when I started to go through the depth of the questions that they, they needed to get answers on, there was a lot of stuff that they were asking. So I just don't know that these reports are ever going to have thousands of, of people on them. That being said, the, 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 the results of the, uh, of this survey, uh, uh, of this, the state of the black professionals in tech, I found myself kind of saying, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I see that uh, on I mean, a lot of the stuff. It was kind of like a lot of it is like, yes. And and I think I was saying that because, well, that's my experience. I'm not going to talk for you guys, but it's like, yeah, this this makes perfect sense. There were no surprises. Uh, I'll put it that way. The the thing, my whole thing at, at this point in the game, in, in the year of our Lord 20 and 23, um, it is just willful ignorance at this point or, or obstinance or stubbornness or I D G A F ness of these companies <laughs> yeah. to, to not have diverse, a diverse workforce. Like every single study that has come out about diversity and inclusion has shown and proven that those companies that incorporate this and make sure that their employees are actually engaged make more money. Period. And so the idea that, you know, so I'm thinking now, should we be taking this to the shareholders? Because like the, the the shareholder value is supposed to be the company's, you know, prime directive. And if you are that disinterested in making money because you hate black people that much, um, that should be a problem for your shareholders at the end of the day. And so like, I think that I don't know. I don't know if that's something that can finally get these people to wake up and take notice when when your shareholders finally start saying, yo, you ain't making as much money as you could because your workforce is 80 percent white. You know, get some more black folk up in there. Like, I I don't know what else to do at this point, because y'all just want y'all just want to make less money at this point. You you actually want to make less money. There is one. There's there's one one stat that that I wanted to pull out here where it says companies with more diversity achieve more revenue. From innovation. So if you are more diverse, you make more money. You make more money. And like, so, so this is what I do like about this. They are putting hard numbers to this 45%, um, you know, innovation by companies with above average scores, 26% in innovation made by companies with below average scores. Now I'm not a savant, but I do know the difference between 45 and 26 is almost 20%. It's 19%. So just by being more diverse, you generally are going, when it comes to innovation revenue, you're going to make more money in your organization. And there's just stat after stat after stat throughout this report. This tells you like that. It's like, if you are more diverse, you make more money. If you are more diverse, your people tend to like working for you more. If, and it's, and here's the thing. It's not just black people liking to work for you more. The others like to work for you more as well when you are diverse. I like how they showed how they pointed out some of those kind of things as well. So another one here was that uh, and, and this is one that you have to take to heart. Only 23 percent of black professionals are very satisfied in their current role. You compare that with 34 percent of all professionals. 
So you're saying, well, if only a third of your people are uh, very satisfied, that's not great. But you know what's not? You, you know, you know what is even worse than not great? Only 23 percent less than 25 percent of your black professionals being very satisfied with their roles. So, and here was and here was one that I, you know, I think we could spend some time on this. Microaggressions and racisms are barriers that hinder solutions that support employees, and black employees say so at much higher clips than their counterparts. So, when it comes to microaggressions, 34% of other people claim that microaggressions are problematic. 54% of black professionals say that this is an issue. 23% of others say that racism is an issue. And here's the thing. This isn't just white folks. This is white folks, Asian folks, Indian folks, Asian, you know, you know, it, it, it is, is everyone else other than black folks. 23% uh, you know, say that there's a problem with racism. 50%, one out of two of black employees in this survey say there's a problem with racism at the organizations that they're working at. So I want to just, I want to, I'm, I'm going to let you finish. Uh, but when I, I saw it, I'm, I'm glad you brought this particular slide up because I wanted to tell a quick story um, about my time in corporate America, because I think, you know, some of our listeners may not be black and, um, you know, might not be understanding what the big deal is with these particular metrics in, you know, specifically. And, you know, I can remember, you know, I, I'm not going to necessarily say where I worked, but, um, you know, Fortune 500 company, the whole nine. And I can remember I hadn't been there that long. And, um, there was this, there was this, this two, speaking of sharing offices, there were these two white guys that shit, they, they had their own, like we all had cubicles. Everybody had a cubicle, but they shared a office because there just happened to be an actual office space in that off the, the, the larger office space. Space. There was like a smaller office um, that had a door and it was just a bigger space than a cubicle. So they put two people in there. So they shared that office space. And then the wall to the cubicles was right outside their door. So it kind of made a little hallway past their door. And on that wall to the cubicle, the outside of the cubicle, they would put just funny stuff. They would cut stuff out of newspapers and, you know, it, it, it would have been a meme had it been 2023, but, but but back in, you know, 1998 or whatever, that's not what we called it, but they would clip stuff out of papers and little funny stuff. And, you know, so I would, and, and I was cool with one of the guys. Uh, the other guy never really didn't really, he just, his energy, his vibe was all off. Um, so I didn't really mess with him, but I was really cool with the other guy because he was super funny. And, you know, so I would, when I would get up to stretch my legs or go get a drink of water or whatever, I would make my way around their past their office just to see what new was up on the wall that day that I could have a chuckle. And one particular day, it was the day after Biggie got shot and killed. And somebody had cut out a picture of Biggie and then cut out a picture of a machine gun and taped it, pointed at his head on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is funny. Right. I was like, I, I, I don't really find that humorous. Um, the death of a black man is, 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 is funny. To, like the fuck. So I wrote a letter cause I'm all about documentation, wrote a nice long letter. 
and I put it on because I thought it was the guy that I knew that did it. Because mm-hmm. like I said, he he was funny, and but in but his sense of humor, my I figured maybe he got a little weird with his sense of humor and just kind of took it over the line. I just assumed he was the one that always put all the stuff on the wall because mm-hmm. it was usually funny, and he was the funny one of the two of them. And so I went and I just let, I I was going to have a conversation with him, but he wasn't there. So I left it on his desk. And when I tell you, when he got back in that office and ran back around to my cubicle, was like, Steph, it was not me. I I knew it wasn't right, but that was the other dude. It wasn't me, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Went back around (laughs) to the other dude, handed him the letter and he sits there and ooh, I, I, ooh, I still trigger to this day. Um, he sits there and, you know, he reads it and he's like, then he does this. Leans back in his chair, head, head, mm-hmm. hands behind his head. And he's looking at me and he, and, and I'm like, so are you going to take it down? Yeah. You know, I'll take it down eventually. I'm like, so um, is there a reason you find the death of a black man amusing? Worth it, yeah. And he goes, um, I mean, why do you like that kind of music anyway? That kind of music, okay. Sir. <laughs> that kind of music. I said, and I, and I had to, I had to, ooh, when, when I tell you, I, had, I was like, I said, blank the the kind of music i listen to doesn't really have anything to do with why i don't want to see a picture of a black man with a machine gun pointed at his head in a public space in my office place i said are you going to take it down yeah i'll take it down i said okay so clearly i need to go to mm-hmm. above you above this this is this yeah. is above you you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it, and it, it, it's become above all of us at this point so went to my manager i was like please don't make me need to go to hr about this i need you to handle this today and and it got handled but that's just one thing that black folks deal with every every day, day. so um, like I said, microaggressions and racism, but I put code switching here is problematic and I bolded it out. And w- one of the things that we said when we, when we were, when we were strategizing what this show was going to be all the way back, uh, when was it? August of, you know, a couple of years back, we said that we were not going to code switch on yeah. this show. And I don't think a lot of, white America or just a, a lot of black, a lot of non-black people in America don't realize that most African-Americans speak, we're bilingual. We speak multiple languages. Now, th- those who are informed know that there's something um, called African-American v- vernacular English. They have stopped treating like the way we talk like slang and actually look at it more like a dialect. Uh, because it stems all the way back from the Creole nature of how African Americans that were, you know, that were enslaved were using English and their languages from the islands that they may have been from or from, you know, or from Africa and mixing all that together. And it just has kind of stuck around from the time that we were on plantations through the early 1900s through today. So 
one of the things, and, and, and I've said this before, it's like, you know, you, you as a child, and, and there's so many comedians who joke on this. Like, yeah, the first time I heard my mama talking on the phone to white people, it was like, who is that in my house? That Harper, Harper who this woman? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> where, where this is coming from. And, you know, in, in our community, we, we have a lot of folks who will say, oh, you sound, you know, you talk white or you, you must have went to a white school or something like that, because there are just different ways that you speak based off of who you were around in, in your formative years. But when it comes to a lot, it's, it, this is not, you know, we are not a monolith. So this is not every African-American's story. But for many of us, we literally walk into the office and have to do this switch to where I'm not going to talk like I talk. I'm going to talk like they talk to make them feel more comfortable in having interactions with me and the level of mental stress that that puts on you to be able to do it because you know you're doing it, number one. And then two, it's like you fake in the front to try to make somebody else feel good. Man, I used to wear khakis, sweater sets and kids to work every day. That was like my uniform, yo. And y'all know good and well, I don't need to be in nobody's khakis or nobody's sweater set <laughs> or nobody's khakis. Look like you came straight from the gap before LJ made it look cool. I, I, I stayed up in Eddie Bauer. Eddie Bauer was my store of choice and, and L.L. Bean. My entire wardrobe, my work wardrobe, uh, I make the distinction. My work wardrobe was Eddie Bauer and LL Bean. Everything I had and that I wore to work was from those two stores. And it was, it was just crazy because you want to fit in, you want to fit in and you don't want to look different. You don't want them to be, Oh my God, look at that. You know, cause, and back then I had hair. So, you know, it was different. Occasionally it would look a little different. And then you had to answer all those questions and, and all it was, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. I'm so glad I don't work for nobody no more. So is that the answer? Uh, well, not the answer. What are the solutions to this? Now, Rob, I see you put a, uh, in the article or the report, it put up some different things that you can do. But clearly, going back to what Stephanie said, they don't care. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they can, it's like you got to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah, they can put out a commercial. You know, they can you know make uh, a donation to the on, to the UNCF. Right. Yeah, they can show up in Black History Month. You know, mm -hmm. they can say you know they can give to HBCUs. But really, the what is the what is the solution to this? Like Stephanie mentioned, I'm glad I don't work for nobody no more. Is that the solution? You know, uh, what, what, you know, we, we, we talked about it earlier to where companies are pushing back on, you know, don't really care if people want to come in the office or not. So if they, <laughs> you right. know, stopping people, you know, yeah, we don't care if sure you don't care about no black folk. <laughs> right, right. Surely they don't care about diversity, you know, equity and inclusion. So what is the, what is the solution? Do we shut up and deal with it Do, and, and cross our fingers and, and, and hope that in 2050, it'd be 51% minorities in society as a whole for them to start changing? Or do we, you know, do we, do we uh, venture out on our own or what, what is the ultimate, uh, and I'm not, I'm asking you, but I'm also asking the people who, you know, put this report together, 
you know, if we know this is the case and clearly we know that they don't care. So what's the next step? So one of the things uh, the, the, the number one on this chart, because I, I linked to a graphic out of one of the slides in the PowerPoint and it is it, it shows ratings by black professionals. What's number one mentorship and sponsorship. But there's caveats. It's what does that mentorship and what does that sponsorship look like? So I'll just give you a personal epitaph, you know, in, in my, in my tech history, you know, I actually got pretty high in the company. At one point I was the executive director level and I had a lot of directors and managers and team leads and actual engineers and stuff that worked up under me. But I was a very specific part of the organization. What I started to notice as I moved up, um, it didn't matter whether, like I said, I, I specifically was in sales engineering for most of my, you know, most of my career in IT that, you know, I've, I've been a sales engineer, ran sales engineering teams, but I would have marketing people coming and talk to me. I would have people on the help desk coming and talk to me. Basically what it ended up being is that at some point, just about everybody that looked like us that worked in the physical building that I was in at some point would come across my path because I was the highest African-American and not, not the entire organization, but in the part of the organization that, that, that I, that I worked in, you know, in Ohio, basically, you know, where my office was, uh, you know, I was the highest one. So a lot of it was, Hey, how do you know, you know, just, just feeling like you have an ally and you know, th- we have this term and, you know, and I tell people, especially young people who are, who are listening to this and you'll know what I mean. All, Skin folk ain't kin folk. So you, you right. have, you have to be careful with that. But there is just, Hey, okay. I can relax. I can talk like I talk and you're not going to think less of me because I talk like you probably talk when you're not in this office. Can I ask you some questions? How do I do this? How do I do that? That is a yeah, big part still of it. With that, but even still with that, that's us making a way out of no way. That ain't the company pushing down. All right. We need to make sure that you have. A mentor to somebody that you well, feel comfortable with. I still with. say it's, it's a. Sh- I think it we it needs to move to a shareholder issue. Yeah, I, I, think I was going to go back to that as well. To the I said that earlier. I'm like it. We need to shareholders need to understand when their companies are being willfully ignorant and willfully um, diminishing their 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 earning potential on purpose by not having a diverse workforce. Like they need like. Shareholders need to know that. And that needs to be on the next, when the next vote comes up at the next quarterly meeting or whatever, they need to know that this company didn't potentially make this much money, more money, this, this earnings call because they will not diversify their workforce. They refuse. We've, we've talked to them. They're at 2.9% 2.9% today. They were at 2.9% two years ago. We wanted to get them to 3.2 and they wouldn't even budge on that little bit. So because they didn't do that, here is the potential money they did not make this quarter for this that earnings call sense. and get them shareholders involved and say, are we going to now vote to get the CEO out of here and get somebody in here who will make us more money by, by diversifying this company or, or what we going to do? For that. So I think yeah. they're the only people at this point that have any power to, to, to move a corporation's hand, um, and say, listen, I don't care who you got up in there, but if, 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 if getting their, your black workforce from, from 11% to 13 is going to make us more money, we want to make more money, you know, right. and, and, and like if, if America's still a capitalist society, you know, that you gotta, you gotta hit it, you gotta go where the money is, you gotta hit them in the pocket. 
got to have it in are, pocket. Are, is it? Is, are we just a capitalist society? Yes. <laughs> well, I was going to say because clearly because of this, there are some companies that have rolled the dice and said. We don't even want to make money. I know, right? Yeah, so what are we? Yeah. So what kind of society does that make us? It's, it's harder. <laughs> it's a good question. To, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder for the publicly traded ones to, to, to be that way because that stuff is public. When you're private, you know, this is how I roll. If you don't like it, then you can get out of here and sue me. Well, there are some, some publicly held companies to where people, they're out there to own a lion's share of the stock. And though you, yeah. could, you could round up a couple of those people on top of the board. You know, and say, look, here's the deal. Like, uh, what's your boy always making noise? Um, Carl Icahn, you know, back in the day, you know, he was one of the big shareholders that when, uh, one of the companies he had a majority interest in, I think Apple, I think was one of them back in the day to where he was like, all right, we need to be doing this. He would be very, and he, yeah, he said, or, and, and is Warren Buffett still alive? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, I like yeah. But, like, to your point, like, like, y- um, look, y'all ain't making no money because these companies don't want to hire no black people. Like, mm-hmm. get we mm-hmm. we got to get some people involved and, and, and hit that bottom line, man. Yeah, right, right. Dollars and cents. So that's all. That's the cash rules. Everything around me. This is a really interesting report. I hope everybody who's listening to the show, you know, go check our show notes and take a look at this. It it, it is truly interesting. And I hope they get some money to expand it. To, and, yeah, and to expand more, it. Um, they need more data. They need way right. more data. Way more data way than more this. Data. But like I said, I'm not knocking it because it's like, yeah, this this makes sense to me based off of what they have. So I would love to see uh, more of this because one of the things that we say this on this show all the time, black folks are not a monolith. It's like we all look alike, but we're not all alike. You know, we all have different thoughts and think different ways. We have different political leadings, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when it uh, you know, you know, when it comes to, you know, black people, you know, in, in mass. So the more you get, you're probably going to start to see some variance in, in some in some of these numbers. But the the interesting thing that, you know, that I always or one of the things that I always say is like, well, how do you make this better? Is that, you you know, it's there are reasons why um African-Americans and, you know, in our space is technology. So I'll talk about our space. But it, this is just a kind of across the board when you are really, really good and, and you are wanted. Um, your name is out there. People want you to come and work for them because you do really good work and you check a box. But you see a lot of folks who's just like, I don't, you know, I didn't leave because I wasn't getting paid. I didn't get, I didn't leave because somebody was just being blatantly racist to me. I left because the culture just didn't match up. I felt uncomfortable being my authentic self. And I don't know how companies ultimately are going to get to that, but, they're, but, but, but they're going to have to that, you know, they're, they're going to yeah. have to this, this, you know, yeah. th- these numbers are, like I said, if you are diverse, you make 20% more in certain areas of your business as compared to not being diverse. That is just a black and white type of thing right there. It's like, you know, do these things, make more money. Don't do these things, make less. And to your point, Stephanie, I think shareholders, if they keep hearing these stories over and over again, that'll help. The other thing too, is that when you really, if you are an organization and you really try, you really are trying to work on your diversity, your DEI, actually hire somebody, get a consulting firm, get someone in your organization that does this stuff and has an idea. And before we get off of this, I'll just, I'll just leave you this one thing. 
I remember working, you know, at a company and one of the things they said, you know, we need to get more African-Americans in here. So we're going to we're going to start going to more job fairs and making sure that we're trying to pull African-Americans in at these job fairs. And then you look at the list of schools. Now, I'm making this up because I don't want to give any, you know, any you know indication on what this uh, university, you know, or what this, uh, you know, company was. But it's like you go to the University of Vermont. And it's like, well, the University of Vermont has 0.8 African-Americans to go to school there. How well do you think your program is going to work at that school as compared to going to FAMU, as compared to going to North Carolina A&T, as compared or even if you want to go to PWIs, as compared to going to Ohio State, where there's just it's so massive that there's a ton of black people there or going to Texas to where there's just a ton of black people there or going to Alabama. Alabama is not a ton. So Alabama State, on the other hand. A ton. So you have to actually look at where are you doing your recruiting and all that kind of stuff. And like, this, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll leave that for another show. Yeah, because but that pipeline problem. But it's, you know, it's just pipeline. Too. So, bullshit. but as I said, uh, you know, this this article right here, uh, the state of the black article, this research, the state of the black professionals in tech is actually a really good long read. So we'll link to it. Go check it out. So, y'all, we are to the point in the show where we want to do our spotlight. This is our fourth one in a week. We've done one every week this uh, uh, this uh, February for Black History Month. And this one is one that we've done before. So this week, we're shining the spotlight once again on Valerie L. Thomas. So she was a inventor or is, you know, is an inventor who contributed to the development of the Space Physics Analysis Network for research related to Halley's Comet, ozone hole studies and a supernova, as well as creating the technology to make 3D movies possible. Born in February of 1943 in Maryland, Valerie was fascinated with technology from a very young age. But because scientific subjects were not considered important or suitable for girls at the time, she was not able to express her technology technological aptitude until enrolling at Morgan State University as one of only two women in her class to study physics. Valerie's aptitude for mathematics and analysis led her to a position at NASA where she managed the development of NASA's image processing systems for Landsat, the first satellite to send multi-spectral images to study Earth's resources from outer space. In 1976, she started experimenting with the relationship between an object and its real image relative to the positions from concave mirrors. She thought that if it were possible to present and transmit these types of realistic 3D dimensional images great improvements could be made in video and even in television in the future in 1980 she received a patent for her illusion transmitter which is still being used by nasa today this is one of the first technologies to make 3d movies possible and as i said it's being used today still ms thomas continued or i should say dr thomas continued to work for nasa until her retirement in 1995 serving in such positions as space physics analysis network project manager and the chief of the space science data operations office she received a number of nasa NASA awards, including the Goddard Space Flight Center Award for Merit and the NASA Equal Opportunity Medal. She continues to mentor young students through the National Technical Association and Science Mathematics Aerospace Research and Technology Incorporated and Shades of Blue DMV. So once again, we're shining our spotlight this week on Dr. Valerie L. Thomas. And I said, this is a recap. The first time we did this, I, I, I very quickly glossed over the illusion transmitter, but this black woman invented 3D movies. That's that's basically what she what she has done. Her technology back in the late 70s and 80s when she got the patent is what allows us to actually go to the movies, put them glasses on and actually watch 3D, 3D movies. And it looks like stuff is going to hit us in the face. Shout out to Dr. Thomas. My my um, annual pilgrimage to uh, Radio City 
to see the Rockettes would not be the same without her. Cause there's a, there's a part, a part of that show every year. It starts with, um, a video and they hand you glasses when you walk into Radio City and, you know, they play this video and it's Santa, you know, flying all around, blah, blah, blah. You put the video, you put the glasses on and you can see presents falling out of his, out of his sleigh and birds in the sky and stuff like that. And then, you know, he lands at Radio City and then like a real life Santa comes out from behind the curtains. It's like, Santa's here. Yay. But, you know, 3D. Shout out to 3D. <laughs> so y'all, it's time for us to wrap up. Before we do, I actually just checked Patreon and we've got a new patron that came in literally right as we're recording the show. This name is cracking me up. Our new patron this week is Captain Anne Tennille. Nice. <laughs> if her name is really Anne Tennille and she is a captain, that is wow. awesome. That, that is awesome. That is awesome. So for you young folks who don't. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Oh no, there was a a group back out in the 70s called Captain and Tennille. I just, when I was a young kid, I remember watching them with like, they were, they would always be on like Donnie and Marie or something like that when I was Mm -hmm. a kid. And they were kind of like a Sonny and Cher. Exactly. Duo, but not, yeah. not 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 to that level, but uh, but yeah, Captain and Tennille. That is mm-hmm. that is a cool name right there. So, Tech Life Steph, why don't you go ahead and tell folks I didn't get at you? You can find me all around the web at Tech Life Steph. How you can find me all over the internet at Brother Tech. That's B R O T H A T E C H. And I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And we are also at the tech John on all the things. So until we meet again in a week's time. Peace. Peace.